Would you please join with me with your Bible open to the Gospel of John? We'll be in chapter 6 in just a few moments. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. The Gospel of John has a clearly stated purpose in John 20, 31, where John said about what he wrote, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John documented evidence, but not just to prove he was right or lead his readers to a conclusion. John was right, and he does want to lead his readers to a conclusion, but listen, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's John's objective. That's his premise, his thesis. On many, many occasions, readers and students of the Gospel of John have arrived at the right conclusion, and believing, they responded to the Gospel, became disciples of Christ, enjoying life in his name. Here's part of the evidence John documented for this purpose. In John chapter 6, I'm reading verses 1 through 15. John 6, 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to eat a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. My wife loves to cook, 
Like so many other grandmothers, she loves to cook large amounts of food for the grandchildren, and she takes orders. She loves to have everybody in the family over for Sunday lunch. She doesn't know how to fix a little meal. The preparation starts early in the week, getting all the groceries and making all the plans. Saturday is her day of preparation. Then she is up early Sunday morning. While she does amazing work in cooking and serving, it is not a miracle. This was a miracle. Observed by many witnesses, documented by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can just imagine the oral transmission of this story through many generations. Parents telling their children what happened that day. Grandparents telling their grandchildren, we were there. We ate that food the Lord called into existence. If I had been there, I would be talking about this the rest of my life. I would never forget it. I would delight at the memory. I would be saying to people the rest of my life, let me tell you, I was there. Let me tell you what happened that day. John took notes inspired by the Holy Spirit to record this miracle for us. Not just for the sake of drama. No, John said, remember, these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What should all this mean to us? What does this tell us about Jesus Christ? I would like to have been a reporter even after the event. Wouldn't it be something to interview some of the people who ate this meal? In verse 9, the boy who had the five loaves and two fish. Oh, he could write a book and it would be a bestseller. Maybe he became a believer or a preacher. But John or the other writers are not asking us to be engaged in the side stories. This is about what Jesus did. And like every other miracle, it tells us something about Jesus. This speaks to us of his compassion, his care for the hungry. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? No inquiry about who the people were to make sure they were qualified to get a free meal. Mark 6.34 says he had compassion on them. Perhaps some of these people had jobs. Some may have been wealthy. Perhaps they had food back at their houses. And if they had stayed home, they had plenty. Jesus didn't get into all of that. He saw hungry people, and he had the power to feed them. I think one of the key characteristics of Jesus was and is his compassion. That trait in him was never missing. And in this respect and in all respects, Jesus is like the Father. You have found this over and over to be true from the book of Psalms. David prayed, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51.1 In Psalm 86.15, But you, Lord, are a compassionate 
and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. In Psalm 103:13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Over and over, the Bible speaks to the compassion of the father, and that is expected and that is observed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The compassion of Christ is exhibited all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in narratives where he reacts to people. This is an instance of that. Not only do we have a miracle witnessed by this multitude, as it is written by Mark and John, we get one of many glimpses into the compassion of Christ. This event was not the only time compassion was attributed to him. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. On another occasion of feeding, in Matthew 15, 32, he said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. In Mark 1 and verse 4, a leper was pleading for mercy. Jesus responded with this characteristic compassion. He was healed. Two things are happening when we focus on Christ's compassion. One, we have his example for us to imitate. Everything I see in Jesus, I mean every moral and spiritual quality, every trait of character should be training ground for me. In the way he acted and reacted, he left a mark on the world that says here is the right way to act and react. So when I learn of his love, his commitment to truth, his response to human need, his kindness and compassion, all that should prompt honest self-examination. Am I compassionate? Am I a follower of Christ in this respect? Number two, we can be recipients of his compassion and God's grace as we put our whole lives under heaven's authority and hope. Divine compassion is the background and cause of the gospel. God is reaching out, offering forgiveness and hope. Christ is that outreach in person. In responding to the gospel, you accept the offer and commit your life under heaven's authority and hope. True compassion observed in this account of the feeding of the 5,000 here in John chapter 6. There is also in this account in John chapter 6, his gratitude. In verse 11, he gave thanks. Something so simple. No lengthy analysis needed. He gave thanks. I hope thanking God for our food has not become just a traditional, perfunctory habit. If Jesus gave thanks, if Jesus prayed to the Father and praised him with reverence, 
how much more should we? I hear out in the public media arena, mention is often made of farmers, processed food manufacturers and retailers and truckers, and there isn't any doubt the hard work that is exerted by growers and producers and retailers and transporters to perpetuate the economy and to get food into our kitchens and onto our tables. It is good to be thankful for everyone in the human chain of labor, but higher than the farmer and the truck driver, there is God. Without God's continuing grace in the system of provision he created, the retailer would have nothing to offer the consumer. I hope our abundance or our attachment to this world doesn't diminish our gratitude to God for all we have. A great miracle occurred as reported in John chapter 6, but before the meal, Jesus did something very simple but profoundly necessary. He thanked God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. James 1.17. Third, in this miracle, we see Jesus' power to provide, to provide perfectly. What divine power was at work here? Back in the Gospel of John chapter 1, Jesus' deity is affirmed. And part of that affirmation is, in John 1 verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus wasn't just a witness or bystander during creation week. He was active in creation. In fact, Colossians 1.16 says that by him all things were created. Here in John 6, in this miracle, creative power was manifestly exercised. Food was called into existence that did not exist before. I want you to think of that. Food was called into existence that did not exist before. Something was created which before had no existence. It has long been observed by Bible students and teachers, every miracle of Christ tells us something about him. This perfect creative power of the Son of God was witnessed by 5,000. And I can imagine people hearing the story and saying something like, he can do that? You know how little boys with good daddies have such respect for what their daddies can do and what they can fix. A little boy heard this story in the Bible class and immediately spoke up and said, even my daddy can't do that. And I want to go back to that word I used, perfect. Do you think anyone went away hungry? Or was there any nutritional defect in this food? Did anyone have to check the expiration date on the bread? This is not a trivial point. I'll come back to it in a minute. Jesus is seen here as the one with power to provide for these people perfectly. But then as you continue through John chapter 6, there's something else to be discovered related to the miracle. See, Jesus had a priority, something he offers 
of greater value than bread and fish. I want us to now look at a few verses beyond verse 15. Get down to verse 27 in John 6, where he said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. In the miracle, it was bread and fish created by the Creator to relieve physical hunger. While that kind of food is necessary, there is a greater food, food that endures to eternal life. Who gives out that kind of food? The Son of Man. Now at verse 32, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So as wonderful and miraculous as the manna was back in the day of Moses, which fell from heaven for the Israelites, it was nothing in comparison to the true bread which Christ is and is bestowed upon those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then at verse 35, Jesus just came out clearly and said it. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Pair this up with Matthew 4 in verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now here's what must be said. You can consume the food that perishes. You can have a perfectly healthy diet here at your earthly table all of your life, yet starve to death spiritually. In our culture, there is high interest in healthy eating and nutrition that is suited to your personal physical needs. It has become a big segment of our economy. And I'm not recommending that you eat carelessly or ignore good healthy eating. But there is a kind of food, there is a kind of food offered to us by God through Jesus Christ. And if we ignore the offer, if we just don't take it seriously, what happens when we die? Listen again to Jesus. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. This miracle, feeding the 5,000, here in John 6, and reported also by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like every other miracle, has instruction in it about who Jesus is, about what we need to fill us and enable us to live right and have the hope of heaven. Can we look now at how this chapter closes? John 6, 68 and 69. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Sometimes Peter didn't get it, or he was impetuous. 
In these words, it is apparent that Peter understood something so well John recorded it. Jesus has the words of eternal life. When we come to know him, belief leads to an obedient response, and we are nourished with the bread of life. So, in the feeding of the 5,000, there is a historical event that is loaded with drama. It would have been amazing to be there, to eat that meal, to see Jesus do his creative work, to see the food multiply before your eyes, or to tell your grandchildren you were there, but there's something even better. Responding to Christ today, initially in repentance and baptism, after that in a life of discipleship, that's the nourishment each one of us need. Obey Him. And if you have, keep on obeying Him. Thank you for listening.